Hello there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 586 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. It is Thursday, January 25th, 2024. Duke has a game coming up against the Clemson Tigers this weekend, Saturday, in Cameron. We are going to preview that. Also, we're going to look at the schedule and just look at how Duke has played so far this year, thinking about their tournament resume. And then finally, of course, Duke football. The 2024 schedule is out. We will talk about all that. But before we do that, I am Donald Wine. I am your host for this episode. Of course, Jason is still gallivanting in the Southern Hemisphere near Antarctica. So I have Scott Rich with me. Scott Rich, of course, from the Duke Basketball Report. We've had him on here uh, quite a bit of the last couple of weeks. He's been pinch hitting for us uh, while Jason has been absent. And sometimes when Jason is there because we like to torment him about, you know, all things Michigan. So, Scott, welcome back to the show, my man. I, I feel like we'd be remiss not spending the entire podcast talking about the Lions, us being two Detroit boys, but I think we're going to have to suppress that that instinct as best we can. Go Lions. It, y'all don't understand what this means, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, <laughs> well we, we, we will have another episode before that game on Sunday when we recap uh, the Clemson game, but first, let's preview the Clemson game. Actually, before we do that, I just want to shout out, we are recording this kind of late on a Thursday night. I just want to shout out the Duke women's basketball team because Kara Lawson and the crew, they defeated number 23 FSU tonight, 88 to 46 at Cameron. Yeah. That is a beast of a win. That's a huge win for them. I know they've struggled a little bit this year. They're 13 and six overall, five and three in the ACC, but that is a statement win right there. That's one that's going to hopefully help them turn the tide and maybe mount up a couple of wins here. But shout out to Kara Lawson and the Duke women's basketball team. All right, Scott, we're here to talk about the men's basketball team. We're here to talk about their upcoming game on Saturday afternoon against the Clemson Tigers. Clemson Tigers, 13-5 and five on the year, 3-4 and four in the ACC. And the, the way I want to do this, because it feels like for the Clemson Tigers, it feels like it's been kind of a tale of two months, if you will. They started out hot. They started out as one of the hottest teams in college basketball. They were 11-1. and one. They had wins over Alabama, South Carolina, Boise State, TCU, they had the the December early game where we were playing Georgia Tech. They played Pitt, beat Pitt. They then lost to Memphis, which okay, Memphis decent loss. That's not a, that's not a bad loss, and responded with wins over Queens and Radford. But since the calendar has turned to 2024, Clemson has been off. Losses to Miami, UNC, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech. They only have wins against Boston College and Florida State. That Florida State win coming last Saturday. The only thing about that is they have seven days. They they have their bye week this week. So they don't have a game between that Florida State game and coming to Cameron on Saturday. So start with this. When you look at Clemson, what, what's been standing out to you as the problem for them since the calendar turned to 2021? Are they just doing the you know sober January where they're like, we're just not going to play basketball? Or is there something a little bit deeper? Well, going into the season, P.J. Hall was the – marquee name on Clemson this was a guy who many of us pegged as you know potentially being a a fringe second round draft prospect maybe he would go and you know go to G League route he came back and many of us thought okay this makes Clemson number three potentially in the ACC he started off this year super hot he's averaging almost 20 points a game you know one of the top scorers in the league but you go deeper you look at his numbers over the past six games, yeah. 17 points in the loss to Miami, 10 points in the loss to UNC on four of 13 shooting, 
another four of 13 shooting night the next game in a loss to Virginia Tech. His best effort, he got 31 points in double OT against Georgia Tech in a mm-hmm. loss. So this really seems like a team that goes as their star player goes. And as his shooting has dropped off, as his scoring has dropped off, his his raw numbers for the year are still fantastic, but they're very much skewed by his early season uh, performances. This team has lost a little bit of that identity. And it's interesting you mentioned that because when you look at PJ Hall, you mentioned the fact that he came back to Clemson and he's arguably one of the best players. Some people can call him the best player in the, in the ACC. I would disagree with him, right? I think Kyle Filipowski is that guy. But if you set him in a debate, I'm not going to really you know go strongly at you about it because he's been that good in the ACC. I think he's averaging 19 points a game this season. He has 20-point efforts in nine games, and you mentioned the game high against Georgia Tech about a week ago. But yeah, it seems like even with them, you look at some of the other guys down this list, right? I know we're skipping ahead to the players, but Joe Girard, the transfer from Syracuse, we've seen him destroy us in an orange uniform for 87 years, it feels like. And he just switched one orange uniform for the other this year. He's shooting 42% from three, and he's putting up a shot. He's hit three or more threes in 10 games. So, but when he's off, He's off. When PJ Hall is off, it feels like everyone, it, it just, you know, it kind of trickles down to the rest of the squad. And it, it, when you look at this team in just looking at the conference play, when I was looking at Kempom, I, I looked at this, you know, kind of run that they've had of, of terrible play. And in conference play, their offense has been great. Kempom says they're the second best offense in the conference behind us, but their defense has been atrocious. 13th in the ACC. They are worse than the ACC at effective field goal rate on defense. They are worse than the ACC at three at three point defense. People are shooting 40% from them. They are 13th in two pointers. They're allowing 53% from two. They're not forcing turnovers. They're not forcing steals. On the offensive side, they're getting a lot of offensive rebounds. They're shooting, you know, 55% from two. They're shooting really well from the free throw line. They're not turning the ball over. When they're not making their shots, their defense is not bailing them out. Their defense is not there to help them. Like, I mean, we've seen some bad shooting nights from Duke where our defense has rallied to kind of win the day. That's not happening for Clemson. And you talk about that three-point shooting. That was the sort of reputation this team had coming into the season. Joe Girard has lived up to that. He's shooting 42% from three. P.J. Hall has the reputation as a three-point shooting big. He's only shooting 32% for three on the year. He's in last season, Kyle Filipowski. He should be shooting well, but you actually look in the numbers and he's not. And shooting just decent enough where he's going to continue shooting, right? Like the law of averages says that he probably shouldn't take as many threes, but because he's making just enough of them, it gives him the confidence to shoot more. But as he's shooting more, his output is coming down. Yeah. And I, you know, you, you look at the numbers, there's just, there's some weird things about the numbers on this Clemson team that just stick out to me. Ian Shefflin, their you know do it all power forward guy, who I want to talk about a bit more later. He's shooting 55% from three. He's just not he's not taking that many. But that's if you're shooting 55% from three. Maybe you should be taking some more. That R.J. Godfrey, another guy, not taking a ton of threes. He's shooting 50% from three. He's only playing 16 minutes a game. So again, there's 
it's, it's hard to judge what's going on with this Clemson team. The other thing about Clemson that jumps out at me, they don't have a single player averaging more than 33 minutes a game. Joe Girard is at 32.6 minutes a game. Chase Hunter is at 31.7. Those are the only two guys averaging more than 30 minutes a game. Their star player, PJ Hall, is at all, not even 29 minutes a game. And then there's a whole mess of sort of interchangeable guys who are averaging between 15 and 20 minutes a game. Glass half full, that's a team that has depth. That is a team that has interchangeable parts. Glass half empty, that's a team that doesn't really have an identity. That's a team where they haven't found that five guys that they can go to in the clutch when they need a stop, when they need the basket. It's funny you mentioned that because there's also another reason added to that on why they kind of have to rotate some of these people around. It's because Clemson fouls a lot and they get into foul trouble. And when Clemson is in foul trouble, when they have guys with two fouls in the first half, only 5.5% of their minutes come from guys who have two fouls. So what that means is once guys get two fouls, they're sitting for the rest of the half, or at least the bulk of the rest of the half. And a, they're bringing yeah, in new guys. Numbers there. Yeah. So uh, yeah, this is probably numbers you didn't have access to. That's, that's all. That's on me. <laughs> I, I don't but, have the pay subscriptions yet. Yeah. <laughs> you're, we're working on it. We're working on it. But I, I think that's the point, right? Is when you have guys that get into foul trouble a lot and, and it's not necessarily, you know, always their, their best guys like PJ Hall or Joe Girard, but if guys get into foul trouble, then you have to plug somebody in to do something that you wanted that other guy to do. And, as I've said on this show, when we get into foul trouble, we have the same issue. We have guys who come in and we're like, hey, we need, you know, this guy to be Jeremy Roach. We need this guy to be Kyle Filipowski. And it doesn't happen because you can't replace those guys fully on the basketball court without sacrificing something that makes you that person that coach would call on to put on the court. So, you know, you have the the Hunter, the Hunter brothers, Dylan and Chase. They both, you know, you'll see them a lot. Chauncey Wiggins, Jack Clark. Uh, Jack Clark, we we should be familiar with him. He's a transfer from NC State, um, I believe, last year in that game that we like to forget. He was the guy that we need to forget about because he was torching us. Uh, Boss Leap, transfer from UNC Greensboro, I believe we saw him a couple of years ago when we played UNC Greensboro. So, like, we see some of these guys are very, very familiar to us. But it feels like, as you mentioned, it feels like they just haven't – they whatever they were doing in the first month of the season, they have either – gone around like gone away from that or they've actively tried to figure out how to add other pieces to this puzzle and it's just not working um so the question is when you go to cameron it seems like all these guys so far that's come to cameron have decided to put it all together last minute and you know have some sort of dazzling display what about this team worries you when they step on the floor in cameron on saturday is it the three-point shooting is it the interior uh play of pj hall what what about you stands out as something that Duke needs to really hone in on? I'm going to say something odd here. Ian Shefflin scares me. Every time I watch a Clemson game, he's this six foot nothing power forward. Not huge, doesn't have athletic ability, but he impacts every game I've watched Clemson play. If I didn't know P.J. Hall was a star and I'm just watching Clemson, he's the guy that pops off the screen. He reminds me of just one of those annoying guys that somehow comes in and lays their butt off against Duke. He's averaging 10 rebounds a game in 25 minutes, not even as his team center. 
he's the type of guy who's going to take charges. He's the type of guy who's going to get just messy put-back buckets. Those are the type of guys, I don't know what it is. It may be my neuroses, but that's the type of guy that you watch that game and you're like, God, that guy's annoying. How does he beat Duke? How does he, the guy has no NBA aspirations, guy who, you know, probably cleanses the height of his career. But every every year there's a game, right? Every year there's a game where like, how does this guy beat NBA talent? And he does. I don't know why. I hope I'm wrong. And he puts up a trillion against Duke. He will, he'll play more in the minute, so it won't be a trillion. But that's the type of guy in this type of game that for whatever reason worries me in a game that Duke should win at home. If he goes off and he plays out of his mind, that's the type of, that's the type of thing that could make this go sour. It's interesting, right? You have, um, you have these guys that come in, even if you go back to the pit game last weekend, we were so focused on Blake Hinson and his threes and he was making his threes that we almost forgot about Jalen Lowe going off. And when you have that one guy that you're focused in on, not be the center of what kills you, that's what angers you the most, what frustrates the team the most. And yeah, I see that in, in Ian Shefflin. I also see it again in like a guy like Joe Girard, right? Joe Girard is a guy, it, It's he's the backup. Uh, it, I, I don't want to say the Robin to Batman, right? Like PJ Hall is, is Batman of this team. He's the guy. Uh, but Joe Girard is a guy fully capable of beating us because we have seen him try to beat us many, many times over the last four or five years. So it's those guys that I look out for. And especially in Cameron, it feels like the one thing that teams entering Cameron can't do well is shoot three. And the one thing that teams have been doing all year in Cameron is shoot threes. And Joe Girard is that guy. He has a couple of games where he's had four, five, even six made three-pointers. And you cannot have a guy go off for 20 because he hit five or six from beyond the arc and keeps Clemson in this ball game. That's how that's what you know keeps the team in there. If you if you're able to make all these threes, they're gonna stay in this ball game and it's gonna be one that's gonna go down to the finish. I think there's a couple things that we need to do. First of all, Clemson is a very good offensive rebounding team they're also a really good just rebounding team overall since they've been in conference we need to crash the board i think we did extremely well rebounding against louisville but louisville is not clemson right that's one of the worst teams in college basketball versus a team that like you said we were thinking about was going to be in, at least in the top half but really in the top three or four of this conference when you have guys like pj hall and joe gerard leading the squad we need to crash these boards we need to make sure that whatever shots they miss they don't get a second opportunity. I think the other thing is force Clemson into foul trouble. As I mentioned, when guys get into foul trouble, they usually go to the bench and they sit there for a long time. And if you get a PJ Hall, a Joe Girard, you know, even like a Chase Hunter in foul trouble, they're going to have to wing it. And that's what it feels like. Again, when some of these guys come out of the game, they kind of end up having to wing. It's almost like they don't prepare for that, even though it happens almost every single game. So I want to force these guys into foul trouble. That means perimeter defense. That also means on offense, we're going at him with Cal Filipowski. We're going at him, you know, maybe Ryan Young. Honestly, I, I'd love to see a Sean Stewart come in earlier in the game. I'm not saying he needs to start or anything, but bring him in earlier just to provide that athleticism to give them something to think about. And I think the X factor, as we saw against Louisville, is Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell continues to be healthy. Uh, I think Mark Mitchell can provide 
something that Clemson cannot match. I'm I'm trying to blank on last year if Mark Mitchell went off against Clemson. I feel like he had a pretty decent game against them. I see you checking, so I'm going to keep talking. But I, I think the one thing about Mark Mitchell is that on defense, he can guard any of these guys, right? He can guard a P.J. Hall. He can guard a Joe Girard. P.J. Hall is 6'10". Joe Girard is 6'2". Mark Mitchell can, can clamp down either one of them. But also on offense, he provides a dynamic that they can't match because they're not going to be looking for him to be a part of that offense. But he always finds a way to be open in some of these uh, fl- the flow of, of of the offensive sets that we have been putting out lately. So I, I hope this is something that he can again have a really good game and and build on what he did against Louisville even before the knee injury when he had that really great week. I think he's onto something. And it, again, it doesn't have to be the three pointer. He's maximizing his his output and several other facets. I want to see that happen. But really, it's about making sure that Duke crashes the boards, forces them to foul trouble, and clamps down on defense. So unfortunately, I have to tell you that your recollection was incorrect. It was Mark incorrect. Mitchell, okay. Mark Mitchell had so so he, he had eight points, four for eight shooting last year against in the loss against Clemson. Okay. A, a, de- a decent outing. Not not great. You mentioned something that I think is really, really important, which is can Kyle Filipowski draw fouls? And Watching Kyle this year, it's it's so interesting that I watch a game and I say, man, it didn't look like Kyle played great, and he's got 20 and 10, and you go and you talk to him, you're like, well, you know, every raw number, every raw metric is better than he was last year. And I've really been thinking about what's different? What is this sort of, you know, visual qualitative difference in this game that's leaving Duke fans wanting a little bit more? And I think it's that aggressiveness, it's that attack down low. I feel like he's taking more fadeaway jumpers in the post as Mm -hmm. opposed to attacking the basket, drawing fouls than he did last year. And maybe I'm wrong for saying this because he's scoring more points, he's playing more efficient, so obviously something's working. But I just remember so many instances last year, the Kansas game, the beginning of the year, when he just, he went up, he powered to the hoop, he missed his first shot, got his own rebound, slammed it right back. I can count on maybe one hand how many times that we've seen that play, that type of two-to-basket energy from Kyle this year. Now, there's a lot of different reasons that might be. Derek Lively's presence is something that we can't overlook. The lack of that presence and the lack of drawing that big, playing against a four as opposed to playing against a five. But if Kyle wants to be the alpha on this team that I think Duke needs him to be in order to achieve its goals, one way that he can do that is by using his skills to get the opposing big out. Duke can put Clemson away in this game if if Kyle can draw early fouls on P.J. Hall. This is going to be huge. And God, it's a week and a half from now we play UNC. It's, it's insane how the year's gone right. by. If Kyle Filipowski gets Armando Bake out in foul trouble, changes the outlook of the game. And that's something that he can do. He should do against guys that he can beat off the dribble, bigs that he can put in awkward defensive positions. Kyle needs to do that against P.J. Hall this game. If he can get him in foul trouble, like you mentioned, all evidence shows that Coach Brown Al is going to take him out of the game. And that just changes the outlook. The one other thing I'll mention here, Clemson's an old team. Yes. Clemson is a team full of 
a couple of seniors who have been there for a while and Hunter and Hall. Their Shifflin is a junior. Their transfers are all older guys. That's something that we forget about. As much as excited we were about the returnees for Duke this year, there's still a difference between a, a 19, 20-year-old sophomore and a 22, 23-year-old who's been playing basketball, college basketball for four years, regardless of who's going to be in the NBA and who's not. Clemson is an old team. They're full of guys who have played in Cameron before because they've either been on Clemson or been on other ACC squads, which is still such a weird thing in this modern era to transfer within your conference. You have to. There's no reason why you should ban that, but it's still weird and will always be weird. So this is a game that, again, Duke should win. They should win it even more because they're at home. But especially after the last week's performance against Pitt, especially with some of that luster of Cameron, you know, potentially getting taken off by Blake Henson and his nonsense. I'm, I'm anxious about this game. I'll say it. I'm anxious about this game. If Duke can, Duke shows a lot of, if it's the team we thought they were in the preseason by how they take care of business or don't on Saturday. You know, when it comes to Kyle Filipowski, I think a lot of it has to do with, because he's playing the five, and we've talked about this all season, because he's playing the five, he's not getting an opportunity to get the ball on the perimeter and, you know, kind of use his bully ball, you know, motion to drive the lane and get those fouls and draw those fouls. But we've seen him do it in the post. I mean, just the other day, he drew nine fouls. Was that against, I think it was against Pitt, uh, drew nine fouls, which is an unfathomable number. So it's obviously something that he can do. The one guy that we haven't mentioned yet, is Jeremy Roach. And the question is, you know, of course on Tuesday, he, he comes back from the knee injury and trades that for an ankle injury. He tried to gut it out and eventually had to sit out the rest of the game. Is he going to be ready for Saturday or do they hold him out for Saturday? Because I think if Jeremy Roach is in the game and he's healthy and he's fine, this seems like, a you know, again, a, a, we feel more, more confident about that because not only can he do what he does, he also has that clutch gene that was missing last weekend against Pitt. If he's not in the game, that means someone has to step up and do that. Someone has to step up and take those qualities and say, we need we need you to go in there and assert yourself. Is that Kyle Filipowski? Is that Tyrese Proctor? Is it one of the freshmen, right? Like, you know, uh, Jeremy McCain or Caleb Froster, one of those guys, you know, let's let's put it this way one of them needs to put that dog in him right like that's what we need on saturday from from someone if jeremy roach is not in the game i i know we're going to do a little bit of sort of mid-season reflection after break but can we just pause and remember that in the offseason there was a segment of duke fans that thought jeremy roach was going to have to take fewer minutes to come back mm-hmm. the, the incoming guards are going to be so good tyrese proctor is going to be so good that jeremy roach is just going to have to take less minutes on this team his performance is is one of the unsung stories of the college basketball season unfortunately it's probably getting overshadowed a bit by the guard eight miles down the road who's playing out of his mind as well but for a guy that duke fans maybe expected wouldn't be here or wrote off in favor of the new shiny toy he's indispensable this team is different when he's not on the floor And we've seen that in the loss against Pitt. We saw that in the second half against Louisville, where this team really had to grind it out. Jeremy Roach is a senior leader. He does it with his play and his attitude, if not his 
words, but he is the alpha on this team. And it will be much harder for Duke to win this game, let alone any game, if he's not on the floor. I can't add anything other than that. That was brilliant. I mean, it's 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 exactly right because the way that he's emerged is again, you you mentioned you know him taking fewer minutes. We've had games where the only time he comes out is when they give him the curtain call with like a minute left or like 15 seconds left against Baylor. He played, I think it was against Baylor. He played all but the last 15 seconds of the game. And that was so, you know, John Shire could give him the standing ovation he deserved for that performance. So it's, it's incredible to see how he has been playing. And, and yeah, we're all sitting here thinking we need him back on Saturday. We're hoping that he's okay. And that the ankle injury was just a, you know, minor thing that can be, uh, can that he can play through, but yeah, this is going to be an interesting game with or without him in the lineup. Much rather have him in the lineup to do that. All right, anything else before we wrap up on Clemson? I'll just say if if Sean Stewart can play how he played against Louisville, if he is really progressing in practice like Coach Shires says he he was, which I thought was really important, how he mentioned that in the post game press conference after the Louisville game, that adds a new dimension to this team. That lineup with him at the four and Mark at the three, that was something. That was a changeup. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that again, especially against a Clemson team that is big inside, that's a, another tool in the toolbox that potentially is going to pay dividends down the road. And can add a lot to our defense uh, against this team, especially you mentioned those guys that are really big. Hey, that game, Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern time, on ESPN, if you are not going to Cameron, it's on ESPN. For those who are going to Cameron, safe travels and enjoy the game. Cheer loud and let's go Duke. We're going to take a quick break on the other side. As Scott mentioned, we're going to look midseason at how the tournament resume is looking for Duke. And also, Duke football has their schedule for the 2024 season. We'll talk about it after this. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling Fuel up for them with Factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals they're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes, mindless work, pop it in the microwave, do what you need to do, and it's ready to eat. No more cooking, no more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right. So head to factormeals.com slash dukebb 50 Use that code DUKEBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DUKEBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. All right, we are back, and let's investigate how Duke has played thus far this season. And when we look ahead to March, the NCAA tournament, we're going to look at the tournament resume and kind of 
evaluate where Duke is at at this point and what they need to do to kind of get a little bit higher in those seedings when those when that bracket comes out on Selection Sunday. Scott has done a lot of research on this. Before we get to you, Scott, I just want to mention some of the stats that we already have for, for Duke. Right now, as of today, this is Thursday, January 25th. Of course, these are updated daily. Duke is 18th in the net rankings, 13th in Kempom. Of course, they're 14 and four overall, five and two in the ACC. Nine and two at home, three and two on the road, and the two and oh on neutral sites. Of course, that's the Champions Classic in that game at Madison Square Garden against Baylor. Now, when we look at the net rankings, of course, they do the quad one, quad two, quad three, and quad four records. Here's where it gets a little interesting. We are three and one in quad one wins. Of course, that one loss was the home loss to Arizona. When it look at quad two, we are 0 and three. And so the other three losses that we had are considered quad two losses at this point in the season. Quad three and quad four were six and oh, five and oh. So we're we're winning the games that, at least according to the to the metrics, that we should be winning. It's those those quad two wins that have been a little bit dicey. Joe Lenardi, as of right now, has us as a four seed in the East bracket that would be in Boston, but they have us in the opening rounds in Salt Lake City. There is a pod in Charlotte that is taken up right now by Tennessee and UNC. We would be shipped out west, at least for the first round, but then would be able to come back east if should we make it to the Sweet 16, as of what Joe Lenardi is saying right now. So, Scott, would you take a look at that? Evaluate for me. What do you... Th- where do you think we are right now? Where do you think we need to go to kind of get towards maybe a, a, maybe a three seed or a two seed? I, I think that perhaps the easiest way to look at this is comparing where this team is now to where this team was last year. Net rankings, rough estimator. They're not, you know, the be all and the end all that people make them out to be. We're eight. We're we're what you said, 18 in the net rankings this year. Mm-hmm. We're, six, we're sorry. We're 16 as of today. Last year, at this point, we were in the 30s in the net rankings. Last year, at the end of the season, or the end of the regular season, Duke had five quad one wins. This year, we've already got three. We've got five opportunities remaining on the schedule, and there's a very good possibility there will be more. The home game against Clemson right now is just outside of Q1 opportunity. Wake is rising up the ranks. That could be a Q1 opportunity. Florida State is knocking on the door to the top 75. The road game against Florida State, which now looks sneaky challenging, is another game that could be quad one. Same thing with NC State at NC State, which is a house of horrors for us, so I never count that up as a win. But that could be another Q1 opportunity. The net says the ACC is better this year than last year. That may not be the perception, but that's what the net rankings love them or hate them, that's the tool and the metric that the selection committee uses, says that the ACC is better this year. So Duke is far and away in a better position this year at this point than they were last year. Last year, we ended up with a five seed. I think right now a five seed is this team's floor. And that's if they if things go, you know, somewhat worst case scenario down the stretch. The other thing to keep in mind with Duke's resume, we forget how important of a win the win against Baylor was. Baylor right now is a net top 15 team. They could end up in the top 10. They're a team that I still think qualitatively looks like a good team, looks like a team that's going to ascend. Michigan State, 
I don't know how, but they're number 21 in the net. This is a team that lost a bye game at home. This is a team that's hovering around 500 in the Big Ten. The metrics say that is but they a, have some decent wins. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Do. They do. And the net reflects that. The net says that the Michigan State win is a top tier win. And that's something that differentiates this team's resume from last year's as well. We had one really good Q1 win against Xavier. But again, they were eh, top 20. The win against Iowa was Q1, but they were towards the bottom of Q1. Duke has multiple top-tier resume non-conference wins. Unless we forget that team eight miles down the road is having a really good year. We don't like to admit it, but it's true. And that gives Duke opportunities. If Duke can take care of business in the tobacco road rivalry, those are opportunities for top-tier win that just were not there last year when the ACC was perhaps the weakest it's been in recent memory. So is Duke going to be a one seed or a two seed? It'd take a lot. It might take sweeping UNC, especially after losing games that we could have, would have, should have won. It might but take can- sweep in the ACC. It, 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 it depends, you know, obviously depends on how other chips fall, but it, it may take them, you know, maybe losing once, maybe twice the rest of the way and then clearing the ACC tournament. Unless we forget, the the, ter- the tournament has been much more volatile of late than it has been historically. Team, you know, UConn was a four seed last year when they won the national title. They were a team that lost, I believe it was five. At one point, they lost five of six games in January. They were a team that was down and out. There's a lot more parity and a lot more volatility in college basketball as a whole and in the tournament. So... I'm used to be a guy in as soon as, you know, recently as three, four years ago, who would be wringing my hands. And how does Duke get that number one seed? Because odds are they need a number one seed to have that clear path to the final four. I don't feel that way anymore. I want us to have a good first. I want us to have a good first weekend location. I think that it can't be underrated how important it is to get that Charlotte quad. What would have happened last year if Duke had been the four seed, Tennessee had been the five seed, and we had been able to play close to home in North Carolina. Who knows? That's a big unknown, mm-hmm. right? That is really important. And being a high enough seed so that Duke's playing in Boston as opposed to getting shipped out West is also important. And those goals are still very, very much in hand. And again, getting a three seed, which is puts us in a great position, is something that is a big step forward from last year is something that I don't think a lot of casual fans might have thought was in the running after the loss to Pitt. That's still very, very much in hand right now. Again, you can say what you want about how Duke looks qualitatively, especially after the last couple of games, but the metrics that the tournament selection committee says they used are very much in Duke's favor, especially compared to last year. One last small point. For all of the hand-wringing about the Q2 losses, the committee is a pattern of not penalizing bad losses as much as they value good wins. This is something that's gone back a few years where Kansas lost a couple of bad games at home and still ended up with a number one seed. And I was because they had 15 quad one wins or something like that. Exactly. So 
you know, that looks bad. They're going to keep showing that Q2 record every time they do a silly Joe Lenardi break in the middle of the game where they make him take up a third of the screen and everyone screams at ESPN for whatever the heck they think they're doing. <laughs> they're going to show that stat over and over and over again. But the committee has a pattern, especially for the top seeds, of not caring as much about that. So Duke, go beat, go sweep UNC, and that's, we're in the conversation for a two seed. Simple as that. So it's funny you mentioned that last part because I was thinking there's one thing when, when everyone's looking at our resume to this point and how it can be strengthened. Yes, there's a couple of ways to do that. There's the games that we have left. Obviously, we should win. You know, we win all those games. You know, we won't have a there won't be a lot of discussion about where Duke is. Right. They'll have a high seed. They'll be closer to home. All all that all that jazz. But the other thing is what Duke fans can do is root for those teams we already played that we won't play again. Because the stronger they are, the better that those wins. Like, again, if, you know, we have those 0-3 uh, in the quad two, but if all those teams win out or, or do well the rest of the year and they become quad one losses, the committee looks at it a little bit differently. Well, I, I will, I'll, put, I'll put the kibosh on that because that's not going to happen. Pitt, Pitt's at number 66 in the net. They're not getting to the top 30. Arkansas and Georgia Tech are 127 and 131. That that unfortunately probably isn't going to happen. So. The Detroit Lions are the NFC Championship. Anything can happen. Anything so, can happen. <laughs> <laughs> anything is possible. Well, I, I withdrawn. Well, Kevin, said. Kevin Garnett said that, and I believe it. No, but anyway, but again, like you're looking at some of these these teams, right? Arizona, you know, Michigan State. When you think about also Baylor, we don't play Pitt anymore. We've played them twice. We don't play Georgia Tech anymore. We played them twice. I believe Syracuse, we've already played. Uh, we, we won't play them again. Those are yep. the teams we want to see do well. We want to see them continue to escalate because even again, even if they're quad two, quad three, if they keep going up and that that moniker shifts, right, all those numbers shift a little bit, then, of course, like if a quad three team becomes a quad two team, then we're looking at, okay, it's not it's not zero and three. It's two and three. Or it's, one, it's three and three, whatever that may be when the end of the season comes then maybe that record they go oh don't worry about the you know the three losses in the quad two because they got three quad two wins they got 12 quad one wins when they look at all these things they want to see as you mentioned they want to see us beat teams right that's one thing but they also want to see you beat good teams and the best way for good teams to look good on your resume is for them to do well after you play them obviously you don't want them to do well when you play them but afterwards like Clemson I think on Saturday is the game with exactly. one time after, you know, if we beat Clemson on Saturday, yeah, go nuts, man. Win out the rest of the, win out the rest of the year. Just don't, just don't do it to us. But at the end of the day, that's how you get a little bit better. That's how you end up in, you know, we have the question of, do you, would you rather be a four seed in the East versus a two seed in the West? I think most people would say go to Boston because that's where your home closer to your base and you can get your fans out there. You, you know, it's not as long a trip and all of these little things, but We've seen success. That the thing about Duke is we've seen them have success in every single region of the country. It, it, it there's no rhyme or reason to how this works. It's about playing the teams in front of you. So the biggest thing we can do, look forward to the teams we have in front of us, take care of business against them, and then let the committee talk about other teams because we're solid in our position of being a, a you know, whatever seed we're gonna be, and we see what games we get. But it's a really good exercise to to look at how we've come so far. I, I love the fact that you referenced how we were doing last year compared to now and how that, you know, 
you know, again, when people think the sky is falling, it really, as you mentioned, it really isn't. We're actually higher in the sky than we were last year. We're not, yeah, we're, we're sitting, we're still in the clouds here. Um, but you know, we still need to play the rest of the game. So I, I think that was a good exercise. Let's transition to the gridiron because last night, the 2024 Duke football schedule was released. Highly anticipated. Everyone, we, we've seen a couple of games released over the last couple of days. I believe we had the opener and then the the, the, the Friday night schedule that ACC is doing. Duke is playing Florida State on one of those games, so we got that a couple of days ago. But yet last night we got the rest of the schedule. And I just want to go through that schedule really quickly because there's a couple of quirky things that people need to think about at this point. The first thing is, because of the way the calendar works, we're obviously in 2024, it's a leap year. So we have uh, that weird schedule where we have the games starting. Week one is starting Labor Day weekend, which is actually in August. So August 30th will be the first game. We're actually playing on a Friday against Elon. Because of that, Duke will have two bye weeks. Every every Almost every college football team is going to have two bye weeks at some point during the season because there's an extra week crammed into this calendar leading up to Thanksgiving weekend and Thanksgiving weekend being a lot later, you know, last game being on November 30th, my birthday, that is, it, it allows for an extra, extra week off. So Duke has two weeks off October 12th and November 16th. So the great thing is, it's not like one right after the other or anything like that. It's they're kind of spaced out so they can kind of, you know, look at this schedule in like trimesters, if you think about it. So the first one you have, you know, Elon, we travel to Northwestern, then we host UConn, and then we're at Middle Tennessee. The big one of that is on September 28th. We host UNC. That is an early, early date for that UNC game. If if all goes well, maybe that's a game that's kind of bumped up to like a primetime slot. I'm hearing that it's possibly going to be homecoming. Um, because usually we have homecoming in the last weekend or so of September. That might be a homecoming game and, and actually makes a little bit of sense because even though it's against your crosstown rival, having homecoming means all those tickets are snapped up by Duke alums returning to campus and they won't be put in the hands of UNC fans who are making the drive eight miles away. So that's an interesting dynamic. And then you close out that first trimester, if you will, at Georgia Tech on October 5th. So Scott, looking at that first Schedule, of course, UNC stands out, but there are any other games that you're looking at, uh, especially you. I, I think I see one that you're you're late for where you live right now for for a team coming to town on on the 14th. I'm telling you, man. I was, you know, Duke came to UConn last year. I thought about traveling down, come to my new home. I didn't do it. I'm I'm sad I missed it. Now we're hosting UConn. Can't quite justify. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can maybe. <laughs> Swing that to, to fly down just to watch the UConn horrible, horrible football team get annihilated by Duke as they should. The game at Northwestern is is interesting. People just assumed that Northwestern would sort of crumble after that whole situation that went down last year. Northwestern had a solid year. Yes, they were Big Ten West team. and The Big Ten West is its own joke. And thank God that's now a thing of the past. They were eight and five. They won their bowl game over a Pac-12 team, or and again, now Pac-12 doesn't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. At Northwestern is a game that, when it was scheduled, probably was just like, oh, this is going to be a you know academic bowl game between Duke and Northwestern that they'll joke about on Sports Center. That could be a really, really good football game between teams that are both going to be fighting for bowl bowl eligibility come 
the end of the season. That's a big, big difference in whether Duke gets to a bowl in uh, 2024 or not. We really handled them last year. And as you mentioned, they just got stronger from there. And it made, in, in a way, it made that win look that much better for us because of how, how bad we actually took care of business against them um, last year. And yeah, that's going to be a difficult game. It seems like every time we go up to Evanston, it's always an interesting battle. It always comes down to some quirky things. Sometimes it comes down to a field goal, but that's definitely one to look at. Let's look at the second portion of the schedule between between the bye weeks. The big one of this you know, interest of this little section, of course, that Friday at or at home against Florida State. The great thing about that is we have the bye to prepare for Florida State. We then host SMU, of course, SMU, Cal, and Stanford in the SEC or the ACC right now. Uh, SMU, their first time in Durham uh, is, is is on October twenty sixth. Then the Wine Bowl on November 2nd, we travel to Miami to take on the U. We then travel to NC State on November 9th to take on NC State. Now, Scott, when you look at the Florida State game, of course, that's the big one. It's, again, Friday night, it's going to be on national television. But again, is there another game in here that you're looking at that could be the difference between us, again, fighting for bowl eligibility or being safely in a bowl once this bye week hits on November 16th? I think Duke's got to take care of business at home and they've got to beat the new kid on the block in SMU. SMU is a team that they finished 11-3 last year, but they got beat by a okay Boston College team in their bowl in the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. What a world we live in with those lovely bowl names. Right? This, you know, SMU is a team that in their first year in a Power Five, now Power Four conference, Duke should be able to beat at home. Manny Diaz does not have a bear covered coming into Durham. Unfortunately, we lo- we we lost our, we lost some star power, but he does not have a bear covered. Duke should be able to beat a team that is still going to be equivalent to a Group of Five team at home. And if Duke can do that, and Duke can take care of business in the three of four non-conference games that they'll be heavily heavily favored in, excluding Northwestern. That's four right there, right? Give us a couple of coin flips. Get to a bowl game and first season coach show that there's still a foundation upon which to build this program. I think that's hugely, hugely important. And I think SMU could be the turning point, especially heading into the back half of the season, whether that's a reasonable aspiration or not. I think the interesting thing about that SMU game is that Rhett Lashley, who uh, has been lighting it up on the scoreboard uh, SMU has over his two years already down there in Dallas. The one thing about SMU is their offensive coordinator, bad news for SMU, their offensive coordinator from last year, Jonathan Brewer, will be on the other sideline coaching for Duke. Uh, he's mm-hmm. one of the first hires uh, from Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz and him also uh, coached together uh, back in the day. But it, it's interesting because that's going to be where hopefully the defense shows up because both teams, in theory, should be able to put up some high numbers on offense. It, uh, it's going to take a little bit for Duke to kind of gel into that with the new additions on offense and also a new system, but the system is is made to score points. That could be a really fun, exciting, frustrated game at times for us, the little high scoring, you know, track meet there, but uh, that'll be an interesting one. Would you look at the rest of the schedule after the bye? We have two more games, November 23rd, the final home game of the season against Virginia tech. And then we travel to wake forest, 
on November 30th, the final game of the regular season. I think when you look at the schedule, there's there's obviously some tough games, but it feels like they're spaced out quite a bit throughout the schedule as opposed to last year where it felt like the hits kept on coming. We had Notre Dame. We had a bye week. I think we had uh, NC State, and then we had uh, FSU, and then we had Louisville, and it just kept feeling like anytime you know guys got hurt, we never had a chance to fully – you know, recover from that because we had another team that we had to prepare for. That was really, really good. This time it feels like a lot of those teams are spaced out quite a bit. You mentioned Northwestern UNC. Those are a few weeks apart. FSU, you have a bye week to prepare for that. Miami, hopefully, you know, people think is going to be, you know, not necessarily back, but at least getting better. And you have NC state who is decent. Of course, Jordan waters uh, we'll see him. Uh, in NC State Red, unfortunately, Virginia Tech Aeneas Peebles comes to town, uh, returns to town as a member of that team. So you, you're going to have a, some storylines here. But in the end, I'm looking at the schedule. It feels quite balanced, uh, at least it, compared to last year's. Yeah, and I think you know, the other thing that you look at the schedule is you always look at who do we play at home? Who do we play on the road? We've got North Carolina at home, got Florida State at home. We got Virginia Tech at home. Those are three traditional powerhouse ACC teams that Duke has at home. The Duke fans have shown that, yes, we can we can talk all day about the issues filling Wallace Wade on a normal Saturday. Duke fans have over the last few years, they've been coming out for the big games. There's been a home crowd energy in Wallace Wade for the big time games. As someone who was in the student section where I was literally one of 50 students Back in 2008, 2009, in the early Cutcliffe years. I love watching that. And I think that that's something that, again, that gives you a puncher's chance in games that, on paper, we should lose. On paper, we're probably going to be a couple touchdown underdogs. And all it takes is winning one of those games, pulling one of those big upsets, where all of a sudden a 5-16 and 16, or a 5-7 and seven season becomes a 7-5 and five season. And again, there's momentum. That's the thing that I think hurt so much about this offseason is that, God, it felt like this program had momentum. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it got taken away. But Manny Diaz, he's a solid coach. Penn State fans were not happy when Duke took him away. And I think that says all you need to see. When the other team's fan base was mad that we stole their defensive coordinator, that goes to show that this is a guy that's that's in the man. And, you know, 15, 20 years ago, who would have thought that Duke could hire an in-the-man coach on such a short notice? This program needs to maintain momentum. This program needs to get to a bowl game. Low goal, I know. But after the turmoil, after losing the coach, after losing Riley Leonard, if this team can get to a bowl, that shows that Duke football is important and in this landscape, and who the heck knows what the ACC is going to be in five years, let alone next year. That's really darn important. Duke football needs to be relevant. If who the heck knows when this next stage of realignment is going to happen, because it's going to happen. Duke football needs to be relevant. And just get to a bowl game this year, coach. Show that there's a foundation and keep building. And this schedule shakes out pretty decently for that to happen. So there's a couple of games I'm looking at, that, you know, a couple of bigger storylines that kind of are beyond the, you know, guys returning or, or playing against former teammates. 
Florida State, you mentioned them, right? Florida State, of course, they are suing the ACC right now. I'm sure every team in the ACC is wanting to show Florida State that, hey, maybe you belong in the ACC, buddy. Like, this is not where you are so much better than the rest of us that you need to spread your wings and fly. That game is going to be big for a lot of reasons, but I think in the grand scheme of the ACC, every ACC team that Florida State faces is going to want to beat the pants off of them for that very reason. The other one, of course, you mentioned Penn State fans being very upset that Manny Diaz left them to come to Duke. One fan base that was kind of like, what is going on here? Why is he getting another chance? Miami. Of course, I went to Miami for law school. A lot of people down there were texted me saying, what are you doing hiring Manny Diaz? But that game, it's not that Miami is coming here. He has to return to Hard Rock Stadium and face those fans on November 2nd. That is a huge game for Manny Diaz, right? He wants to go back and show that he is a much improved coach now than he was when he was down there in Coral Gable. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, just as an aside, somehow, speaking of Miami, Duke, Miami, and of course, our Michigan team, all have the same bye weeks. So ladies and gentlemen, Scott Rich and I are going to need something to do on October 12th <laughs> and November 16th. There's not going to be any football on. Uh, we're going to have to I'll, figure... I'll, go see, I'll go see if, if UConn's playing a home football game. I'll see if I can be one of, you know, a, a thousand there's, people in the stands. There's not going to be any football on, is what I said. I I, I meant that when I said that. So <laughs> uh, there, I think the Red River shootout's on, on one of those dates on October 12th, so so I can handle that. And there's soccer for me that I can tie myself up with. But yeah, that's an interesting quirk that there's a couple of teams uh, near and dear to me that all have the same bye week, leaving me footballless on those weekends. But Hey, we have a lot of football to talk about later on in the as we go into the calendar. Of course, the schedule's out. If you are close to Durham and want to get season tickets, go to the goduke.com, get your tickets, yes. uh, really support the team. It's going to be really, really fun. I'm hoping Still to get down for a couple games. Way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I hope to get on the road, too. That Middle Tennessee game is in Murfreesboro, which is close to Nashville. A very, very, very fun place for me. Um, I might might end up, uh, end up down there on, on September 21st, but that will do it for episode 586 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I know we just talked about football. We talked about some basketball, too. Again, the Clemson game is Saturday, 4 p.m. ESPN for those of you who are not going to be in Cameron. Again, Scott Rich, my man, thanks for coming on the show. Maybe we'll have you back on later this weekend to talk about the uh, recap. Go Lions. Go Lions, absolutely. Everyone, send up a prayer for the Detroit football Lions. Uh, but this is speaking. America's team at least for three hours on Sunday. But until then, he's Scott Rich. I am down the line. This is the Duke Basketball Roundup, and now it is time for the Duke Band to play us out and take us home.